All right. If you could grab a Bible and turn to Revelation 20 and Matthew 6, that's where we're going to be. Happy New Year. How are we doing? You're doing good. Okay. I uh, hurt my back a couple days ago, and so I'm going to make weird noises when I move today. And I guess that when you turn 37 in 20 days, your body starts not working. So apparently, all, all people who are over the age of 37, how do you how do you even survive? I don't understand how you do it. Uh, Nikki's sick this morning, and my back's messed up. What, what's happening this year? You know what I mean? But uh, it's okay. That's what happens. If you don't warm up and you don't value your mobility, then it will give out. And that's what happened to me. So thank the Lord for those of you who've loaned me a TENS machine and uh, for heat pads and stretches and all those things. So uh, yeah, Revelation 22, we're going to get into it. What a... Uh, what a beautiful name, huh? The name of Jesus. What a powerful name. Why? Uh, why? Why is it a beautiful name? Why is it a powerful name? We just got done singing it. Uh, it's an incredible song. In fact, we, we said your great name, right? Talk about the name of Jesus. Say Jesus. It, why does that matter? That's what we're going to talk about today, because it's interesting that in in some sense, words themselves don't really mean anything. I mean, uh, all words are made up, right? People ascribe meaning to them. And so uh, you can you can ascribe some incantation and do it with all your heart or you can make fun of some incantation with all your heart. And the words themselves don't mean anything, but the heart behind it means something. And so what is what is. What does names mean? I think names, you know, in our culture, it kind of does this. Certainly in cultures past, you understand that names meant something. Like the last name Smith meant to do some sort of Smith work, right? Uh, uh, the name Charles means free man. Uh, there's different, different ideas of names having meaning. I don't know if you get into what names mean. I think it's interesting that names just inspire some sort of emotion or thought from us. Here's some names that might inspire some emotion for me. Luke Skywalker instant thoughts and emotion. Raise your hand if that just really resonates. You hear that and you're like, yeah. Some of you are lying. I know you care. Uh, Oprah. Oprah. I mean, come on. Like Oprah. Okay. It was like in the nineties. I found this out, but uh, Oprah is one of the most worldwide known names of any human in all of modern history. Fascinating. You know, Oprah, Patrick Mahomes, yeah, some of you care a lot about this sports ball stuff, right? Dude, that guy can throw a perfect pass when he is specifically horizontal. It's absurd. When I see, I, whatever, we don't talk about it. just breaks the laws of physics. How do you do that? Your body, you can't train for that. So you have a trampoline, he just jumps and throws. No, it's ridiculous. Donald Trump, right? Don't cheer, don't, please, come on. We don't want to start fights or anything. But it, it pulls an emotion. You've got something in you. You think about it. Mickey Mouse, huh? Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Some of you remember the song. I think it's interesting. Um, before I even 
uh, knew exactly how I was going to be uh, working out this sermon. I've been reading a, a book of my kids called The Wing Feather Saga. It was written by Andrew Peterson. It's compared to the Chronicles of Narnia. It's an incredible book series. Whatever age you are, if you're into adventure fantasy books and you want to read by a Christian who's intentionally layering thoughts about the Lord and the kingdom in those books, man, it's great. Wing Feather Saga. Look it up. They're making a, a crowdfunded video series now over it. It's pretty great. But in this book, there's a big deal about names. Um, as people change and traject towards evil, their names change or they want to remember who they are. There's a big emphasis on names. And I didn't connect that, that like as I was preparing for the sermon and we're reading this kid's book, I'm reading it to my kids. I didn't see all the layers. And all of a sudden I thought, man, names mean something. And we had this moment in our book where the big bad guy has a different name. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but you know, there's always a big bad thing. And it actually has a name that's beyond its big bad name. It actually originally had a good name. And so he remembers that name. And I started telling my kids like, hey, what why does these names matter? And I start going through their names. So I'm going to tell you our kids' names because, you know, maybe some of you, when you pick kids' names, your name, it didn't mean anything to you. It just is what it is. But names have meaning. Words mean something. And maybe your name doesn't connect to you at all. But I wanted to kind of run you through our kids' name. Cohen is Cohen David, right? And so the name Cohen, or from the Cohenites, it's priest. When I first settled on Cohen, we were talking about it because of a character in a popular teen drama from the early 2000s. And I was like, that's lame, my wife. I'm not going to name our kid after this show that we watched. But then I studied it and the name priest was there. And I was like, at that time I was really against being a hired holy man. So I was like, I'm not naming my kid priest. And then I studied who Cohen's were. I studied that the word priest actually meant protector, leader, one who would sacrifice for others to be a liaison to the God, the father of all, the Lord of all. So, okay, I can get behind that. So we named a firstborn Cohen, leader, protector. So Cohen's name literally means a priest, a leader who's beloved. The name David, it means beloved. Huh? You love me. It's good. That's okay. So, uh, so Cohen, I, and I remind us, Cohen, you are a leader. That is who you are. God created that in you, right? And not like this oppressive dad stuff where I'm squashing him, just an encouragement. Your name means beloved priest, leader. Asher Drake means blessed dragon. Huh? Get pot. Come on. That's a cool name, right? And now, so uh, it, uh, I'm not going to tell a story of how I snuck Drake in there. It connects to Batman and it's not worth it to you, but it, it, uh, it's a proud dad moment that I snuck a Batman character into our kids' names without Nikki knowing. But here's why the name Dragon is cool. In the book series we're reading, dragons bring justice. They're actually a creature who, who can align with good and they can bring justice. They're big and powerful. Um, and, and if you know Asher at all, man, my son, he cares about what's right. He cares about justice. He cares about what's good. And so as I was reading this book, I was able to tell my kids, dude, we named you Blessed Dragon. And it's interesting that what comes out of you is this idea that you want to see what the good life is, but you're constantly conflicted to what you desire being the good life and what an actual good life in the Lord is, like all of us, and that you want to be a dragon, powerful creature who brings justice, but has to be harnessed by the Lord, right? So conversation with my kid. Elsie Faith means pledge to God by faith or through faith. Pretty self-description. Silas Bear, what happened here? Uh, Silas Bear means woodsy. The name Silas in Greek means woodsy. It could also mean um, prayed for, but that's argued. It mostly the name Silas in scripture means woodsy, of the woods. So Silas Bear's name means a woodsy bear. Huh? Pretty cool. And I was able to tell you, my son Bear loves animals and creatures, and he likes to take 
care of them. He's the only kid that you've ever met that will just grab any spider and just bring it to you and put it in your face without any fear of it destroying his world. I remember I woke up from a nap one time with a spider in my face in his hand. It's like, I want to save my life, but I also want to save his. So what do you do, right? It's terrible. But this is Silas Bear. He's of the woods. He loves creatures. And we're also talking about what are bears like? They're very protective. They really care about stuff and their others and taking care of them. Anyway, uh, our fifth kid's going to be named Titus Charles. I accidentally didn't underline that. There's no meaning there. I just uh, messed up the slide, so forget about it. His name's going to be Titus Charles. That means a strong, free man. Uh, I don't know how all that's going to rip. I don't know what we'll tell Titus, but get pumped that that's our fifth kid, Titus Charles. Names mean something. That's the point, right? Look up what your name means. Look up what your kid's names mean, and think about what does this mean, and how does this connect to the Lord? It, it, might, not, it might not be something magical, right? But it's worth considering. Names have value, Look at Revelation 22. There is so much we could say about Revelation, and I told the shepherds that I wouldn't spend 20 minutes talking about Revelation, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, Adam. But I will say this. Revelation is first a book of worship. Revelation is a book of worship. It is not a book given to you to figure out all the ins and outs of how things will be in the future so that you have some sort of knowledge above everyone else. That's not why it was written. In fact, so much of it was hard to interpret, even John himself, who received this vision of apocalypse. It's first a book of worship. Its purpose and intent is literally to say, there is a God who is above everything. And no matter how things are going down, he is in control. There is a king on the throne. It is a history pattern and God's problems. History's pattern and God's problems. Every culture of every time frame will become Babylon. That is what Revelation tells us. I'm sorry if that offends you, but look around. We are becoming more, we, pick, pick your culture, whatever you're from. Maybe you don't even live here in the States. We are becoming more and more like Babylon. Babylon is a, is a symbolic language for this corruption, rebellion that leads us away from God. Um, in Revelation, it's uh, mentioned with all sorts of uh, things with, with uh, sex and murder and power and money. All, man, what do we really worship in our culture? Come on, it's too good. You read Revelation, you're like, man. And whether or not you read Revelation in your culture or another culture, or you read it in the 1940s and you think that, that uh, this person's the Antichrist or that person, you read it and you think it's Nero, that's the point. Revelation is calling us to worship the God who's above things because everything we're doing leads to Babylon and death. And everything he's doing leads to life, leads to the new heaven, the new earth, leads to righteousness. Revelation 22, let's get into it. Revelation has a, a couple images that it ends with. Um, and, and this angel showing stuff to John, apocalyptic fashion. We read Revelation uh, 21 quite a bit in, in here. I think we've read it maybe 15, 20 times the last few years. And it, it basically talks about Jerusalem coming down the the of God and he'll wipe away every tear. He says, I'm making all things new. And I love those verses. It's a mantra for me. Just remember, man, God says he's making all things new. Even if I don't see it, so he says he's making all things new. Revelation 22, he says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. What does this sound like? What are we supposed to be imagining? This is Eden, 
right? And we've talked about this. We talk about themes in scripture, mountains, trees, uh, uh, gardens. This is a concept. Everything's pointing back to Genesis 1 and 2. Pull your hair out, get annoyed. Turns out, again, I'm talking about Genesis 1 and 2. Every single sermon, it's going to come back to Genesis 1 and 2 because that's the point. Like, this is how God had everything right. And now you're getting a picture. But it's not just that. There's something more happening here. There's something greater God's doing. Keep reading. The leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. Not separate, not, not somewhere they have to journey to. It just will be there. He'll dwell. In fact, the previous chapter says, says I, I'm, I'm your God. We'll dwell together, right? And his servants will worship him. Verse 4, here's where we're going to camp. They will see his face and his name will be on their Say it. It's weird. They're what? Foreheads. Who here's got a big forehead? Could fit a big, big name of God on it. Yeah, Garrett's got a big forehead. You got it, right? My kids have big foreheads. Great. His name will be on their foreheads. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would guide us as we make sense of your name, what you're trying to teach us, what, what, we, what we hold fast to, the truths that are all encompassed in, in the power of your name, the things you've taught us in your word. Thank you. Lord, thank you for the blessing of your word, for the truth you've revealed to us. I pray by the power of your spirit now that you would speak to us as we read your word, as we teach, as we proclaim your truth. May your spirit move. Pull us, pull us away from distractions, from evil, from things that, that would prevent us from hearing from you. Amen. They will see his face. Who are these people that see his face? Well, they're, they're described here as those, uh, those who are worshiping him. In 21, it says that it's those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. We could talk about that a long time, but basically through your faith in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in Jesus, right, won't perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 1 tells us that if we believe we're sealed in the Holy Spirit, right? His, he, he writes down, he seals us like a king seals an envelope. This is mine. It belongs to me. You can't break the seal because I'm the king, right? And saying you're in the Lamb's book of life for your faith. These people are now seeing his face. Why does that matter? Who couldn't see God's face? Moses, right? That's a big deal, right? It was a big deal. He says, show me your glory. And God says, I will have my goodness pass by you. It's a big, intense moment in Scripture, right? And Moses isn't allowed to look on his face or it will end him, destroy him, kill him. It'll be done. Poof, you'll be gone. You'll poof. If God's glory, his holiness, is shines upon Moses and it's full, full beams, it'll just, you can't handle it. Can't handle the truth, Moses, right? And so, so now it's like, wait, they shall see his face. The author knows what he's doing here. He's pointing and saying, hey, hold on. They will fully, the full God, who he is in all his glory. Paul talks about how we know in part, we think in part, one day we'll see in full. It's the same idea. We will see his face. Don't have time to camp on that. We'll move on. His name will be on their foreheads. Now, this is uh, pulling, pulling from other parts in this. Um, let's talk about the big weird one, Revelation. When you think about Revelation, you think about numbers and marks of things. What do you think of? Come on. What? Yeah, say it loud. Six, six, six. Boom. What is this? What is this called? The mark of the beast, right? 
I literally just read today, I was, I was researching this, you would be amazed at how many people, you wouldn't be amazed, maybe you're one of these people, how many people write different things uh, in forums or whatever. Like you'll be reading an article that's really scholarly and literally says how the Hebrews and, and the Greeks and the Romans would have viewed this. And then someone will comment under there, yep, it's the COVID vaccine. Yep, it's this thing. Yep, it's this thing. You're just like, come on. Like, what? Did you read the article? So this creates a lot of tension. And in Revelation 13, 666, it's said to be this mark of the beast, this mark, this culmination of the leaders infused with power from this big evil dragon thing. These creatures that are are Babylon compared leaders, they're becoming like Babylon through money, sex, and power, and all these things. They're going to mark these people on their foreheads and on their wrist. Do you know what that sounds like? We preached on this. Say Shema. Shema. What's the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. These things shall be written on your doorposts, shall write it on your foreheads, on your everywhere. And then the Hebrews, they literally went around and they had the phylacteries. Is that the right word? Phylacteries? Yeah, thank you. They're 300 bucks on Amazon if you want to buy one made of leather, right? So they're uh, a phylactery that they put on their head and their wrist, and they literally wrote it on there because they were identified by loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength. Because the Lord said, this is the command. Hero is real, Lord your God. The Lord is one. This is the reverse Shema. He knows exactly what he's doing. When, when, when the angels are revealing this and John's right, say, hey, you know what 666 is? It's the opposite of the Shema. It's the mark of the beast. And we could get into Jewish gematria and seven being the perfect number and three being the number of completion. So 777 would be perfect completion. So 666 would be adulterated, just an adulteration of that, right? And I think that's really cool. And we could geek out about that and we talk about all that. We're going to move on from that. But also they, they knew what they were doing because if you spell, um, come on, David, Nero Caesar, Right, one of the rulers of Rome. See, if you spell Nero Caesar or you spell beast with uh, the Hebrew letters, right? The Hebrew letters also count as numbers, and if you spell them with those num uh, those letters, it equals six six six. So the author's doing something here. He's saying this is the reverse Shema. It's written on their forehead. Here's the point: they are identified by the corruption of their day. They're identified by these beasts, by Babylon, by their rebellion, their fulfillment. That is solely what they care about. So much so that it has to be written on them, everything you see. But now we get to Revelation 22, and he says, no, no, these people, I feel it. Hold on. Stop, everyone. I feel it. We just talked about Revelation. We just talked about 666. You're all losing your minds. Calm down, okay? It's going to be okay, right? There's a whole point here about this. I'm sorry if the 666 lost you, but it's okay. When you see this, anytime someone tells you, oh, this is this, and this is, look at the future, this must mean this, don't ever get this thing, and you, oh, if you've got to buy stuff at the market because they put a chip in your wrist, don't do it because the market beats, stop, because that's not what John was saying, right? I don't know where our culture is going to go in its evil and perversion, but the point here is that these people are identified not by the Lord, not by loving the Lord. They're identified by seeking their own pleasure, by seeking Babylon, by seeking the corruptions of their culture. And there's a lot of corruptions in our culture that identify us. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But here in Revelation 22, 4, his name will be on their foreheads. In ancient Rome, they would tattoo or brand slaves on their forehead. All y'all with big foreheads, just get a big brand. So you walk around the streets of Rome there's a slave, there's a slave. That person's a criminal. Criminals also got branded. And so then you just knew they were identified right on the forehead. I'm a slave, right? Just right there, bah, 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 right? So again, anyone reading this, wait, it's written on their forehead? 
oh, these guys are identified by the name of the Lord. They're identified by who he is, not by, not by a slave of, of this and that person, not by the criminal past that they have. No, they're just identified by the lamb, by the Lord. There's also this link that connects us to, uh, in Exodus 39, the high priest was commanded by God to wear a crown. And across the crown, you remember what it said? Holy to the Lord, right? So, oh no, I see the links there, all these scriptures connecting. Wait, wait, there. And John says it so casually, like he's just reading to a Greek audience. Hey, you know all this cultural stuff? Let me just put ahead to it. Pun intended. The name's written on their forehead. Um, Names written on, they are solely identified. His name will be the sole identity and focus. His name. If you go back a few books, so it kind of begs the question, what name? Whose name? We're such a literal culture. A plus B equals C. David, what name are we talking about? Go back, Philippians 2. It'll be on the screen. Philippians 2, Paul writes this poem about Jesus. Uh, some people call it his Christ hymn, right? And he just like inserts this randomly. He's talking about don't, uh, don't be controlled by selfish ambitions. Don't see yourself higher than other people, but be like Christ. Don't just look at your own stuffs, but look at the stuffs of others. We've talked about that before. And then he goes on to say, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Say name above every name. Boom. Name of every name. So that at the name of Jesus, name of Jesus, say it. Name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. Heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the earth. Come on. That's every. Everybody's going to bow at the name of Jesus. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will be identified solely by his name. Those of us who believe when everything's made new. He looks and says, that's mine. You belong to me. You are identified by Jesus. His life, death, resurrection, ascension. That is your identity. You are identified by him. And that name, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall profess. So what, what is this name? It says it. What's the name? Jesus. Fantastic. So let's mark that out. That could be confusing. So name. Name one. Name one. Jesus. We're going to go to Matthew. I feel like I've heard this a lot lately. So 21 through 23. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I love this verse because the more you study, the more just like expands your mind. It's like such a culmination, a climax of scripture. We've talked about this before, but here's a crash course in it. The name Jesus is actually where we get the name Joshua, right? It's Yeshua. And the name means what? Yahweh saves. That's what the name means. So when you see Joshua in scripture, they're saying, hey, Yahweh saves. That's what that name means, right? In the same vein as we say, my kids have names and they mean this. This is what Joshua, it's Yahweh saves. You shall give him the name Yahweh saves. Because Yahweh saves will save his people from their sins. And then we've, we've talked about this who's saving? Yahweh or Yahweh saves? That's the point. It's Trinity. It's all this idea of God and Jesus being one. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. See the connection. This is the gospel right in your face. It's so beautiful. Who's going to save from your sin? Here's the implication. There is sin. You need rescue. One of the blessings I do with my kids every night is we, we go to bed. We ask these questions. And one of the questions is, is, what did Jesus do? And they say, he rescued us from our sin. There's an underlining message that needs to be understood. You have sin. You need rescued. Anyone who tells you differently is selling you something. It's not true, right? It's a lie. Like, you are broken. There's something wrong with you. And I'm sorry that there's this narrative coming on us all the time that says, man, you'll really be set free. I know it. I've got friends. They deconstruct their faith. It's a really sexually popular thing to do. And the crux of it is this idea that breaches in and says, man, if you just give up this reality that you're broken, you can live free. It's a lie. Because that freedom that you live in is false freedom. And it ultimately imprisons you because you're a slave to yourself and your desires. And your desires are broken. Your desires aren't good. You've made mistakes. You look back on life and wish you did things differently. You have this year where you're trying to think of how you're going to live this year differently than last year. Why? Because you made mistakes last year. And so you want to do things differently. Why? Because you're broken. There is sin. And God is breaking, breaking through to say, Yahweh saves. Jesus is coming. And his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. He is going to save. And he is going to be with us. And in the end, those of us who believe, we will literally be identified solely by his name, this name of Jesus. The reason it's a beautiful name, the reason it's a powerful name is because it's the only name that saves. It's the only name that can set things right. It's the only name that can move in our culture. It's the only name that has any power. Is your identity in Jesus Christ? I mean, is that, is that how you live your life? Because as we kind of look at, at our culture and we talk about the things that pull us and distract us, we can talk about how we spend our time, we can talk about how we spend our money, but, but here's the truth. If Jesus is the sole identifying factor in your life, then maybe our lives ought to look differently. Things might be done in his name instead of our name. Things might be done focusing on him. And I think it's interesting that our culture is so fascinated with you identifying by what you like, what you feel, what you think is best. And it keeps hurting people. It keeps the same cycle of brokenness going over and over. And we, we dab it in this idea of like, well, we've really grown. We really understand love better than we ever have. We really understand uh, welcoming better than we ever have. We really understand community better than we ever have. Do we? Because I know people, I spend time with them and there is nothing on their Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok that's actually giving them true community with other humans. Snapchat is a poor excuse for having a real relationship with a human being. It's fake. It doesn't mean it's fundamentally sinful and wrong. I'm not the pastor who says, get away from all of it. It's evil. But do you honestly know how it's benefited your life in a way that's grown you in a deep, meaningful relationship with someone else? Has it taught you to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Love your neighbors yourself? What about the identity of, of whatever you do, whatever feels good to you, you do? In fact, our culture has this huge lie that your main identity in life is your sexual preferences. Who do you want to love and sleep with the most? That's your identity. That's what makes you valuable. Listen to me. If you love and know someone or you are someone who believes that the most important thing about you is your sexual desires and who you sexually sleep with and who you sexually intimately connect with, you've been lied to. And I'm not sitting up here to look at you and say, you're a sinner and now you're going to hell. We're all sinners and going to hell apart from Jesus. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. 
If your identity is first giving into the lie of the culture that what's most important about you is your degree or your education or what you like the most or who you want to have intimate connections with or your flavor of of desire and hobbies, you're missing it. All those identities have led many people astray. Better people than you have led them astray. And Jesus comes in and he says, no, no, no. Your identity should be Jesus. In the end, it will just be Jesus. That will be the sole identity because that's the only identity that lasts. That's the only name that can last forever. Why? Why is his identity? Why is his name the only one that can last? Jesus taught us something in prayer that we're going to talk about for a while here. Look at Matthew 6. We've looked at this several times as a church. I think I've preached on this about four times in the last five years. We're not going to talk about the whole, uh, the whole prayer, but this is a famous prayer, right? What do we call this prayer? The Lord's Prayer. And maybe you're familiar with it because you had a football team that had to say it or because you learned it in Sunday school or you have a Catholic upbringing or whatever you've memorized it for. I want us to just drill in on the very first part. Look at Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Jesus says, pray like this. Wow. This is Yahweh saves. This is the one whose name will be eternally identifying us, who is, who's everything. And you know what he says? Hey, pray like this. So we should listen. So we should evaluate all the ways we pray like this. This is how we should pray. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. This Jesus Christ, our identity, the name that saves, the name who makes every knee bow, every tongue confess, the name above all names. He says, first you pray, hallowed be your name. What does it mean to be hallowed? Do you guys use that term? You're like, oh, baby, this meatloaf is hallowed. Hallowed meatloaf, my love. I got some new glasses. They're hallowed. Hello. Right? Come on. You can laugh at that. It's ridiculous. No one says that. Don't laugh. It's not funny. We just said serious stuff. Don't be funny. What does hallowed mean? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. So the root of it is, what does it sound like? It sounds like another religious word we use. Holy. Say holy. Holy. What does it mean to be holy? The word hallowed has its root in holy. Holy was a word that was used in Hebrew to describe God's utter uniqueness. We talk about how it's set apart, and that's kind of a confusing phrase in our culture because we all want to be unique and individual and set apart. We're all set apart, right? And I get that. That's fine. Uh, Everyone gets a trophy. Poof, everyone wins. You're all winners, whatever. But God is utterly unique. No one here has spoken everything from nothing. No one here has created life from nothing. Even if you have these great scientific thoughts of how evolution was formed and how things formed from a primordial soup over billions of years, that still started with something. God created from nothing. He created from nothing everything. And so the way to describe this utterly unique God who's different, he's not dependent on any other Elohims or lesser Elohims or other gods in Scripture, they called him holy. And so Jesus starts his prayer by saying, here's how you should pray. You recognize that his name is above all names, that his name is utterly unique, that his name is set apart beyond everything else in your life, which assumes that the problem in the culture is that it's not hallowed. It assumes that we struggle with his name being hallowed. Uh, Who is this father whose name's hallowed? I mean, saying our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is his name? Say it. Yahweh, right? Okay, here we go. Turn to Exodus 3. 
this is name number two, but we don't need to put numbers because that can confuse us. So I'm going to write them and then scribble them out because that's how ADHD works. Yahweh. Okay. So his name shall be Yahweh. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Nope. Gotcha. Exodus 3, 11 through 15. Here we go. Listen up. Why is this name so special? Why is it beautiful? What is the name of God? Why do names even matter? Right? Following the path here. Moses said to God, you, you know the story of Exodus, right? Like, you've seen the movie, like, uh, God's children gets enslaved. It's this tragic thing, and, and they're all enslaved by Pharaoh. And it's like, man, does God care? Like, does he care that they're enslaved and that there's all these problems? Like, what's going to happen? And so God calls out to Moses. He says, hey, you go set him free. By my name, you're going to go set him free. And Moses is like, eh, I got all these reasons why I'm not going to do that. How about not, God? Like, you know, this is a burning bush, and I don't do this every day. Let's get someone else, right? And so that's the tension. Here's the story. But Moses said to God, verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel to Egypt? The Lord said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I will be with you. There's another word. You're less familiar with this word. When God says, I will be with you, it's the Hebrew word, echweh. Say echweh. Echweh. Oh, man. This is too good. Buckle up. This is going to get you pumped. Echweh. The phrase echweh means I will be. I will be with you. Right? And, and it's tricky because then is God saying, you just wait a minute. Because echweh I will be. I haven't arrived yet. I'm like a butterfly. Let me flex my wing. Okay. Is that what he's saying? No. If you read uh, the footnotes in your Bible, right, there's a tension here. Some of your translations say, I am. Like, I am will be with you. Who's got a translation that says that? It says, I am will be with you, right? Because the word echwe means I will and I am. It's, uh, I got a slide maybe for it, but it's okay. We got it up here too. The word echwe means I am, I will be. God is making, the very first thing God is doing for Moses is making a philosophical statement. He's saying, you know everything that is, the objective source, the floor in which things, everything stands upon, this thing that's undefinable, that, that gives source life, that is existing, that is me, I am defined by what I do and everything you see around you. That is who I am. I am. And that's why our translators are like, Ugh, I will be with you. I am with you. Echwe. Say echwe. It's a powerful idea. God's saying, I am. I am will be with you. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Because God's names define them in this culture. Egypt had all kinds of gods, all sorts of Elohims. They all had names, and it defined what they did. And so Moses is saying, hey, I can't go say Echwe, because that says I am. And if I'm Moses and I say I am, I look like an idiot, because I'm saying I am sent me, and that's confusing. So what do I do, God? God drills down on this. He says, what's his name? What should I say to him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. Echwe asher echwe. It means I am everything. What I am is fully defined and fully made complete in who I am. The, the reason this is such a big deal, this word echwe, is because God is who he is always. And you are who you are sometimes. And I am who I am sometimes. You ever uh, have a roommate or a good friend or you date a girl or a guy and you meet them and you're like, oh, this is, they're so great, mom. Like, this girl... 
she cooks me pancakes and Alka-Seltzer with my tummy eggs or whatever. Like she's got all these things about how great this girl. And then you, 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 uh, you remember this roommate say, oh man, this person's so nice and they love to cook. It's going to be great. You're doing premarital counseling. And you're like, dude, we're never going to fight because they love to do dishes and I love to do laundry. Magic. It must be perfect. And then you live with them and you hate them. Having a roommate is a great way to have an ex-best friend, huh? Come on. You've experienced this. Because these people you thought were one way, they're also another way. They're both, right? Like this is a whole struggle of marriage. Every marriage counseling I ever do, every marriage counseling Nikki and I ever sit with someone, it's because, oh, well, they used to be this way, and now they're this way. It's they're, they're both, and I don't know what to do with it. How can they love me and say these really mean things? Because you are not echwe asher echwe. Only the Lord is. You are not what you are. You're, you're some collection of mismatched things that happen and they change and they, they, they it's, oh, maybe this and maybe this. Insert every analogy about things you cared about when you were younger. Did you ever used to collect pogs? Where are your pogs now? Did you collect Pokemon cards? Did you watch Power Rangers? You doing those things now? That was the most important thing. We had to have a rabbit when we first got married. Do you know how many rabbits we have now? Zero, because it's a terrible pet, right? It's, no offense if you have a rabbit. Terrible pets. Pellets everywhere. It's ridiculous. Echwe, Asher, Echwe. I am who I am. Now listen, this is where it gets good. Say to the people, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. Yahweh, which also means I am. And here's the difference, right? This is the... I am ech, I, Yah, He. Yahweh is He is, He will be. And so they call Him Yahweh, this name of, of everything, Yahweh, God's name. When Moses says it, He doesn't say, I am, He says, He is, referring to God. And now you understand Yahweh. How's a crash course in Hebrew? You like that? Maybe you don't get as pumped as I do. It's a beautiful thing because that means that when we say the name above all names, when we say those things, we have this hearkening in our mind, this background and knowledge that there is an objective floor. There is a God. There is a source of everything. There is a reason why we approach marriage a certain way. There's a reason why we approach, approach family in a certain way. There's a reason why we approach dating a certain way. There's a reason why we approach our finance a certain ways. There's a reason why we approach sex in certain ways. There's a reason why we don't like porn and it breaks us and it destroys people. We have reasons and understandings for these things. There's a reason why we discipline on our cell phones and we don't let these things consume and control us and constantly have fights with our children our spouses about our screen time there's a reason because he is because Yahweh we look to him he's everything you want to understand how to deal with your phone Yahweh he is you want to understand how to deal with your crappy job Yahweh he is this is why we say look to Jesus this is why we'll never get sick every Sunday of saying look to Jesus look to Jesus because we don't because his name is not hallowed in our world, in our lives. We forget. We stumble. We walk away. In Exodus, the phrase, they will know my name is Yahweh, is mentioned seven times. They will know I am Yahweh, your God. It's mentioned seven times. It's almost like God is saying through the scroll of Exodus, this is who I am. And who is the God of Exodus when we read? Who is this Yahweh? He's a pursuer. He's a rescuer. He's one who calls people out of miry, disgusting, awful situations. He forgives them. He redeems them. He draws them to himself. He calls them out. He rescues them. He pursues them. He loves them because Yahweh saves. And we see all this culminate when he sends his son. For God so loved the world 
that he sent his only son. Yahweh saves. It's who he is. He is who he is. Who is he? He's a rescuer. He's a lover. He's just. He's merciful. He's gracious. And so much more than those words mean to us because we can't fully define them because we are who we are sometimes. And he is always. How does he save? I'm going to read a long chunk of scripture to you. Take some time to hear it, and then we've got some practical applications, and then we're going to close. I don't normally give you that many steps for you type A people, but you'll be fine now. I'm going to read this to you. Hear this. This is how he saves. This is what it means to be Yahweh saves. He is, he is everything, and he wants to have a right relationship with you, who is what? Impartial, broken, twisted, goes back and forth. He wants to have a right relationship with you. How does he save? Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Stop believing it's your own doing. There's nothing you can do. There's no list, no thing you can set up for this year that's going to make you right with God. Only your faith in Jesus. It's not your own doing. You look to him. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone should boast. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yahweh saves. Jesus is the one who saves. His name is beautiful. His name is powerful because only his name can save. Only his name, Yahweh, the objective floor, Yahweh saves the one who's saving you. Only he can make sense of the sin in your life. Only he can make sense of the things you don't call sin in your life. How many things in your life are not sin and you're ignorant of it? How many things are you doing right now that you have no idea is abhorrent to God that's separating you from God? How many things you're doing right now that's like, ah, I did this God thing when I was younger and now it's kind of like, bleh, I do it because other people do it. How many people sit here in that space? How would you know? What if there is a God who is above all, whose name is above every name? What does it look like to look to him? So Jesus teaches us to pray. This Yahweh saves. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Jesus wants us to see a world in which everything points to the Lord's name being hallowed because that is his position. He is who he is. And all of evil, all of our flesh, all of the world, all of our culture, it's a distraction. It's pulling us away. And that doesn't mean we look at all those things and we kick them out and we say, I'm just going to sip stale tea and sit in my bedroom and meditate all day, every day. Because there's clearly other scriptures about going, declaring us living. You live in Christ. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all in the name of the Lord through Jesus Christ, right? He says, Jesus wants you to recognize that first you say his name is hallowed. It's utterly unique, set apart, above everything. His kingdom come and his will be done. We don't have time to unpack that. There's this whole idea in scripture of sacred space. 
and that heaven and earth are overlapping. There might be an image on the screen over it. It's one of my favorite images. It goes through my mind every day that we see the world as heaven and earth. And one day we got to get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, woo! Scripture teaches that heaven and earth are overlapping and that Jesus lives in us. And when we follow Jesus, heaven is coming to earth. The way heaven being God's space, the way in which things ought to be. That's the understanding of heaven and scripture. And that's coming here that overlaps. And so when you have these moments with the Lord, when you listen to him, when you make his name hallowed, when you live understanding his name's hallowed, you're creating sacred space. And so then it begs the question, how are we doing this in our life? What does that look like? Jesus wants us to know when we begin to pray, before we pray for ourselves, before we pray for others, before we confess sin, before we ask for provision, the very first thing we start with is acknowledging that his name is utterly unique, special, set apart, above all names. And we look to see his kingdom come. What would your life be like? I think these questions are on the screen. What would your life be like if you prayed like Jesus taught us to? If, if it really was the drumbeat of your life? It'd be cool if I had a drum right here. Dong, dong, dong. Maybe later, Tom. What would it be like if you're like, hey, everything is about hallowed be his name. And you're evaluating things, but hey, hold on. Maybe, maybe this doesn't hold his name utterly unique and special. So maybe I should guess or second guess what I'm doing here. Maybe I should question. Maybe I should change how I approach this. What if it's true that the ways you approach your job, your family, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your marriage, your children, whatever you hold value, your money, what if it's true that it's thwarted by the distraction, the Babylon of the day, the things that are pulling us away from the Lord, the 666 that's trying to identify us? So pick your analogy, pick your symbol. What if it's true that you're incomplete and you could be distracted and pulled away? What would it look like to pray like Jesus if you saw everything as his name being hallowed, his kingdom come? May his name be hallowed, his kingdom come, and his will be done. Here's some practical applications. Here's some things we can land on. You ready for this? This is like, what do I do? What do I, if you're a person like me, you're just like, how does this have, we say in our uh, uh, sermon lab, and we talk about it on Fridays, like, how does this have handles, right? Like, sometimes I feel like we're just lobbing these grenades and just shrapnel hits everyone's like, okay, pray about it, see you later. And so we're trying to always like, how does this have handles where you can take it out the door with you as you're walking away? Like, okay, how do I take all this information? You just told us some Hebrew and some deep thoughts and you challenged some cultural norms. Like, what do I do with this? Every day you wake up, unless some tragedy happened, in which case we'll have a different conversation, but most every day of your life you wake up because you've probably never slept through an entire day. And so when you wake up, you have something you do. And I would encourage you to take on some postures that I've been grossly failing at and struggling with that are so hard. But all of life is like learning an instrument. In fact, there's this great quote by Andy Crouch, I'll probably quote in a couple weeks, but he talks about devices versus instruments and all of our cultures trying to find a device. That's it. Literally, we put apples on the back of them or, or other things like little robots. We say, here's a device that's gonna make your life more convenient. And you come to church sometimes and you get in your mind or I'll listen to sermons. Hey, give me the device, pastor. Come on, pastor David, what's the device to make my life more convenient? The function's like a robot that like does things. You have to say robot like that because the word's kind of boring. Robot, how does it function? in a way that like it does it for me so my life's more convenient following Jesus isn't a device it's like playing an instrument 
Does anyone know anyone who's ever learned to play an instrument? You have a child that's learned to play an instrument? I know somebody who plays violin, and I can imagine at some point that was a nightmare to listen to. I've been around kids who play violin, and it's like you go to their concerts when they're young, and you're just like, oh, we love them, we love them, we want to be supportive. Please stop this noise. We love, we want to be supportive. It's hard. It's rough, right? And then they learn. I remember the first time I learned to play this like green sleeves thing on guitar, and it was like bling, 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 bling. And I got all my family together. My grandparents was around Christmas time, and everyone was quiet, and they listened to Davey play his guitar. And it literally was bong, 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 bong. Uh, let me start again. Bah, bah, bah. And it was terrible. And then everyone clapped, right? And now I, I can play it all the time. It's just something random in my mind. I play, I lead guitar, I play worship, all these sort of things. Like I can play guitar, right? And it's relative because there are people way better at me. But there were times that I was terrible at it. Following Jesus is counterintuitive and counterculture. And so these things I'm about to tell you, they might be hard and you will fail at them. And you should, because everything meaningful should be that way. It should be formative. It takes time to form it. Lately, when I wake up in the mornings, uh, unless I can't because I hurt my back because I'm old now, apparently, um, I, I try to have one of the first things I do. I just roll onto the floor, onto my knees. Gunk. We have hardwood floors in our new house, which is a nightmare, but whatever. So I roll onto the floor, and I just, what, I'm tired. I'm grumpy. I hate being awake. Going to sleep is the worst thing in the world to me because then you have to wake up. It's terrible. But first thing in my mind, I'm trying to have it be just this idea. I say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then I also say something else that John the Baptist said, may you increase and may I, I decrease. And then I pray. I pray for whatever my mind. Uh, I pray for, man, there's some of you that gets prayed for almost every day because I think about you. I think about the medical things, whatever. Just, I, I just whatever comes to my mind. Usually what I've been doing is a little different on top of that. I go and I sit. And in our, our living room, if you ever come our coffee table, there are tons of books on there. Books about expository preaching, books about parenting, books about, um, oh gosh, so many things. Um, all sorts of books. And it's ridiculous because I don't want Nikki to put them on a bookshelf because then we won't see them and they're out of sight, out of mind. So if we have eight books on the table, then we'll read some, which is a lie. It's an ADH nightmare because then it's like we read nothing. But I like to believe in the mornings I can drink my coffee and I can hack I can find a device, a combination of books to really connect spiritually. Here's what I've been doing instead. I set a timer for two minutes, for five minutes, for 10 minutes. And I just sit and I listen. I open my hands like this and I listen. And I'm, oof. It's emotional because I'm so bad at it. And I feel like I'm lying to you guys because I'm so bad at this. But I let him have the first word because he's Yahweh. Because I don't know what that day is going to bring. I don't know what tragedy is going to hit. I don't know all the ways I'm going to screw it up. But I know that he's Yahweh. And so I would encourage you as many times as you can this year. You don't know how to be a parent. You don't know how to be a husband. You don't know how to be a girlfriend. You, you don't. There are things you don't know. But he is. What if the first thing you did during the day didn't involve a screen, didn't involve a device to hack things in your life? What if it involved literally just sitting before the Lord and listening? I'm so bad at it. I started thinking about plane tickets to Portland and getting in plane wrecks this morning. It was so awful. Um, but I did. Set a timer for 10 minutes, and I did. And I listened to the Lord. What if God has something to say? Are you listening? Will you know? Open your hands. Let him have the first word. And then, after five or 10 minutes, just continue breathing and repeat to yourself. I put it on the screen. You can take a picture if you want. My Father in heaven. May your name be unique and above all in my life today. Guide me today to join you as your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as is in heaven. Just whisper that to the Lord. Because Jesus told us to pray that way. 
And, and if you're like me, you struggle to have his name be hallowed, his name be utterly unique above all in every part of your life. Maybe you need to take a picture of this. Maybe you need this. Maybe you need to go on a prayer walk after that. You just walk around your house, praying for your kids, praying for your apartment, praying for your roommates, praying for the people up next to you, praying for your street. Maybe you need to go outside if you're really into the cold and you can just walk and just talk to the Lord. But you start your day without a screen, without a device, without some hacking that you think, without something you've described as, oh, this is going to connect me to the Lord. No, you just start submitting to him, recognizing that he sustains you when you sleep and he has the first word of your day. And then you end your day like this. Turn off your screens. Gosh, I'm sorry I keep sounding like the fogey that's against screens, but I don't even know what the word fogey means. I'm sorry if it's a grossly offensive word. I'm sorry if I sound like the old guy that's against screens, but I just keep seeing them damage my life, my kids' lives, other people's lives, just so many ripples. And it's like, why? At what point do we recognize that maybe this was a bad idea? Remember when everyone thought smoking was cool and it was fine and it wasn't going to hurt you? And then all of a sudden, after many years of research, people are like, oh, you know what? Smoking's kind of a bad choice. No offense if you smoke, but like it's, you don't believe it's healthy at this point. You know it, right? This is what's happening with screens, with cell phones, with social media. Constant research, insurmountable. Look it up. Peer-reviewed journal articles, several colleges, universities, all these people researching how damaging these things can be. There's good there. Don't hear me say it's all evil. But like what, what if you did in your life? You took a step back and said, you know what? This morning or this evening, I'm going to put my phone aside. I'm going to put my phone to bed first, and then I'm just going to sit. I'm going to sit alone before the Lord, 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever. And I'm just going to listen, open my hands and let him have the final word in your day. Everyone in here is influenced and has influence. There are people in your life that you influence and there are tons of people and things that influence you. None of those things are Yahweh. None of those things are the name of Jesus We have to look to Jesus and say, man, you are the one that gets the first word, that gets the final word, that gets all words in my life because there's too many other distractions. This year, 2023, whatever you're trying to do, the, you know, I've got goals of doing muscle ups and, and all these different things. Uh, gosh, gosh, we do this every year with visions and goals and actions. I got all these things written down, but they're all hinged on this understanding that he is the objective source. He's the floor. He is Lord. And maybe you don't do that. You think, I don't need to have goals. Quit talking about goals. That's fine. You have postures in your life right now. What part of your life is not declaring, hallowed be thy name? Or maybe ask the other question. What's, what do I spend my time doing? I go to work. I got a new job. Got a new girlfriend. I just broke up with my boyfriend. Whatever it is. Whatever. I'm going to start my second semester of college. Uh, I'm about to move and get married. Whatever it is in your life. How do these things point to hallowed be your name? Your name is utterly unique. Your name is above all names. There are so many applications here and so many ways to unpack this. I wish that I could express to you all the ways it's affected my life and how hard it is. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to acknowledge that scripturally speaking, you're either in Christ or you're not. You're trajecting towards life in Christ, being made new by him, or you're trajecting towards death and eternal separation from him. He's going to give you what you want. You want to be separate from him. You want to live your own life and it will lead to death and separation because he loves you. And he's also constantly calling you to him. And I want this morning and every Sunday we gather to be a Sunday where we look to Jesus. We open our hands and we say, you are Jesus. Yahweh saves. You are Yahweh, the one who is, the one who will be. You're everything. Jesus is everything. And so there's a couple ways we can do that this morning specifically. I would encourage you in your week to have times of silence, to have times where you submit to the Lord, to, to say the prayer that I wrote, whatever it is. Um, but right now, we're going to experience the Lord's Supper together.
It's a time to remember, to declare the name of Jesus, to say only Jesus saves us, only through his blood shed, his body resurrected, him ascending into heaven. That's the only hope that we have. And Jesus taught us to do it, and so we're doing it together to remember him. So as the band comes forward and we start playing here in a minute, you can come grab your elements, and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper here. That's one thing you could do. I would encourage everyone to do this. We teach this every Sunday, to open your hands. Because if you're anything like me, and I think you are, there are areas in your life you're not opening your hands. There are things you think you've got figured out. There are things that you're certain of, or maybe you don't even know what you don't know. And so this is even more important to say, I don't even know what I need to open my hands to. So I'm just metaphorically and physically opening my hands, hoping you reveal it to me, Lord. Let's do that this morning. God brought you here for a reason. God has you watching at home for a reason. God has you listening to this podcast in the future for a reason. He wants you to look to Jesus. Yahweh saves. I'm going to pray. If you need to respond in some way, if you need to give your life to the Lord, if you feel willing you to join the church, to be baptized, if you don't even know why you need to open your hands, you just feel the weight of the Lord, his glory, something on you, and you want to talk, you can come forward and we can pray. And as you're standing there opening hands, as you're standing there praying, as you're singing and worshiping, I would encourage you uh, to come get the elements as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a minute. You can stand. Let's pray. Father, guide this time. May your spirit lead. We want to believe that you are the name above all names. We want to believe in all that you've done. Protect us from from forgetting. Protect us from the evil, from, from the distractions, from all the lies that get pushed in our lives. God, may your spirit speak. Lord, I'm so frustrated. There's not a perfect phrase or thing to say to fix everything, to take away the pain. But we know that you save. We know that your name is above all names and we know that you're the only hope. Despite all the words, all the brokenness, preaching too long, uh, the distractions in the room, we know that your name saves. God, I pray right now your spirit would move and that we would look to you as we have burdens from this year, from last year, from the week, from, from the semester, whatever it is, God, may we open our hands to you. Teach us to do that. May your spirit draw us to you. May we submit humbly to you. Guide us as we look to Jesus in these moments. We trust your spirit. We trust you, Father. Thank you for saving.